Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. I talk to the trees. Stop and hear what I say. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the house. The second Saturday of this May. Can you believe we're already in May 2022? We are talking trees, and generally we have uh, ISA certified arborists from Save a Tree in studio talking to us, but they are all at the Arizona Community Tree Council Annual Tree Climbing Championship. They've got four climbers that are competing today that test arborists on how many different skill sets, Steve? You, you were the judge there. Is it like six or seven? Five. Five. And we'll talk through what those five uh, are in a minute, but you know we'll get to the, the tree of the month first. So they have Steve Preview and Donna Francesco are in studio, returning guests. And you guys are, you know, like, I mean, as long as water use it wisely is around. I mean, that <laughs> Donna is water use it wisely in my book. So we've got some uh, plethora of knowledge in studio today. And if you'd like to join the conversation, it's one 767 Four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie for you. But we always start off with a tree of the month, and it is my favorite desert tree today. Ironwood. The ironwood. That is my favorite <laughs> desert tree. Can you say that, that a little a, better? Come on, it deserved a, a little better introduction. Ironwood. The amazing, <laughs> the amazing and beautiful and statuesque ironwood tree. They're sure pretty right now. Oh. Yes, they are. And the and the thing about ironwood trees and their blossoms is that here we've had this big long stretch of spring where we've had uh, Palo Verde, Palo Brea, uh, another Palo Verde, uh, mesquite bloom. They're all yellow blooms and then here at this time of year, boom, we get this beautiful display of these lavender colored flowers on the ironwood tree. So if you're tired of yellow, <laughs> ironwood's yeah. there for you. Well we've sure had our share of yellow this year, that's for sure. Boy, I it's been a long time since I remember seeing the Palo Verdes as, as brilliant yes. and as rich and as full as they were. They were amazing. And we, we, had, call, we call it tree confetti because it's all it over is. the trees. And then they drop oh. it all to the ground. And the ground is beautiful, too. I know people think that's messy, but no, it's beautiful. We, we took a couple trips down to Tucson this spring. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, down Florence Highway. And it was like you were driving through a Palo Verde tunnel. Oh, I nice. mean, it was just oh, I right. Think that was, wow, it was right coming into Casa Grande, and then again going Ooh, between Picacho and Marana. Yeah, the median in the middle of the road has yeah. a ton of native Palo Verdes, and it was just you know yellow as far as the eye could see down the road. Yeah, yep, nice stuff. But we're not talking about the Palo Verdes; <laughs> those are past. We're now onto the ironwood, and like all desert trees, uh, will scratch the heck out of you when you're trimming it <laughs> oh yeah yeah they have lots of th ample uh thorns or i guess i would call them prickles if we make a distinction there but um yeah the most of those other trees that we just talked about have two little spines at at the area where the leaf comes off but 
ironwood has them there and in between where the leaves come off on the main branch of the tree. So they have lots of those guys on them. And they are really challenging to prune, especially if you get them as a one or a five gallon. They're just a tangle of those branches and, and they're cha- they can be challenging to prune in those, at that size. Very slow growing tree. Yep, slow growing. Which seems like a lot of times can make them a hardier tree the slower the growing they are. Not always, but... Yeah, they're very hardy, uh, uh, drought hardy. They're not cold hardy. In fact, they are pretty much limited to below 2,500 feet here in the state. And they are an endemic plant of the Sonoran Desert uh, and an indicator plant of the Sonoran Desert. You get plopped down, blindfolded and plopped down, and you see an ironwood tree, you know you're in the <laughs> Sonoran Desert. And you often see them out in the native uh, washes. They're pretty common. Yeah. Um, and then you don't see them out on the flats a lot. Like we were talking about driving to Tucson between here. Yeah. You yeah. don't see them on flat ground. You, you, more like where there's texture in the terrain, washes and slopes. That's exactly right. You've got a mix of soil there where in the plain between here and Tucson, you get a lot houses. more density. <laughs> yeah, you get houses. But just the soil itself is all the fine material that doesn't have a lot of uh drainage and they like a well-drained soil so you get that mix of soil the closer you get to the to the hills and mountains that we buttes and things that we have around here and a feature that the arizona forestry department does is they have a tree uh program and they've got champion trees they've got legacy trees Mm -hmm. legacy trees are trees that they can date back to prior to arizona statehood so they're at least 110 years old oh yeah and they've got one in the dewey area that was a tree during a train stop and they can document like wyatt earp and doc holiday and all these you know big names which they you know that was their resting spot going up to water their horses (laughs) on their final push to prescott well they also have champion trees and that's the largest tree of that known species and you can see the champion ironwood tree if you're driving across Carefree Highway, it's right around mile marker. It's between 9 and 10 or 8 and 9. I can never remember. <laughs> 8 to 10. Yes. Eight to ten. <laughs> it's between 8 to 10. There you go. But it's a big wash, and it's on the nice. south side of the tree, yeah. and it stands alone. That's the yeah. biggest known ironwood in the state. Yeah, and that brings up a good point because when we read literature like the landscape plants for the Arizona Desert Book, we see these figures of that they grow about 35 feet tall, but this big old monster up there is 45 feet tall. Oh, wow. It's a nice big ironwood tree, and it's about two feet in diameter. But they do several measurements to get that those champion trees. They measure the, the circumference of the canopy along with the, the trunk diameter and, and height. And that's the perfect growing conditions. It's got a microclimate. Yeah. It's protected down right. from the wind. It's in a wash. So even though you don't see any water on top, I'd imagine if you went in there and started digging, you'd start getting a little bit of moisture two, three feet down. So it's got, you know, a, a yeah. good water supply in the in the wash. And there's nothing around it. That's something else desert trees uh, can do pretty good is they kind of – and I know creosote. I cannot remember the name of it. But they actually off-gas – something that prevents other things from growing next to them so they to protect their water source underneath their tree canopy yeah but they also 
uh, and particularly ironwoods and mesquites and palo verdes also have those branches almost all the way to the ground a lot of times in those situations where it's just the natural desert and they so that's where the water drips down through them and so they're really kind of a nurse tree for other plants and you get a, find a lot of wildflowers growing under these uh, canopies of these native trees that we have out there and ironwood is one of them. It's those thorny branches that yeah. protect everything <laughs> underneath it and that's why you often see swallows coming up in right. the middle of an ironwood that started out very, you know, that was protected. Find a lot of quail under there, too. Yes. <laughs> lots a lot of, of, lot of desert wildlife under there. Fauna, yes. And, <laughs> and when we're talking water-conscious landscaping, zero-scaping, low, and then I know we've changed it now to low-water-use landscape, uh-huh. that ironwood, I don't think you could get oh, you a better selection Absolutely. for a low-water-use, drought-tolerant, mm-hmm. hardy right. native Get it established, and then it's going to be able to survive on natural rainfall. Absolutely. And that's the kind of thing that makes so much sense. And I think, yeah, taking it from what Steve's talking about and how it survives and what it does in the desert, but let's talk about why they can really be great landscape trees. Uh, and there's, and you talked about water use it wisely at the beginning, which thank you for giving me all the credit. But we have 18 great <laughs> partners that uh, work together uh, on that campaign. We have a beautiful website, and we actually have Ironwood, and it really is random as plan of the month. So if people go to waterusewisely.com, you'll see a great article by Kathy Weiss, who's uh, an education de- director at uh, Audubon, Arizona, and she talks about how wonderful they are attracting birds. Of course, birds love it, just like you were saying, the quail, <laughs> and for the protection. It's pretty hard for a hawk to dive into a branch right. of thorns and snatch them out of there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then and then just, uh, you know, the, like you were saying, the water use, um, they, and then they're such a stable tree. They're not, they're not tend to, they don't tend to blow over and have any of those issues. Uh, and really, with, with those thorns, it's going to keep you from them as well. So, you know, they really don't need hardly any pruning anyway. You might have to go in there occasionally and remove a dead branch or something. But there's really not much maintenance that's needed. And Jennifer will make uh, wheat out of mesquite beans. Romy, who was the guest you had that brought in? Uh, <laughs> oh, the mesquite the, flour, the, yes. Uh, uh, well, he brought in the ironwood. Oh, no kidding. Uh, yeah. The ironwood flour. And they were really good. Oh. Yeah. But it sounds yeah. like Greg Peterson would do. Or, uh, yeah. Greg. Greg. Yeah. He brought Greg. in a whole bag and passed them around as snacks, and they were delicious. <laughs> no, I can see his face, and you're embarrassing me that I can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's a Gilbert Arborist. Um, oh, Claude Clough? Oh, no, Richard no. Atkins. Thank you. Richard, Richard Atkins. Did. Yeah. No kidding. He brought Good in, for him. He had actually been out pruning wow. the tree early yeah. one morning and then still got here in time for the 8 o'clock broadcast. <laughs> And it brought a bunch of fresh ironwood ironwood snacks. They were good. You know, uh, they can be eaten uh, raw, too, if you get them when they're green. The the pot, the seeds, that is. That's what you grind up to make the flowers, the seeds. And they can also be eaten raw, or if you blanch them, they can be eaten uh, just like that. You don't have to grind them. But you're talking mesquite or you're talking ironwood? Both. Oh, both. Okay. Well... Uh, not mesquite, Palo Verde. Palo Verde and ironwood can both be eaten, eaten raw, uh, but you have to get them early while they're still green. Once they turn brown, they're hard as rock, and you have to grind them up into flour. And then there's some rule that you can't pick them up off the ground. You have you have oh, to harvest I, them off the tree. There's that it's better just or be, something. Well, just because the age of it, and then you don't know if uh, animals have you oh. know. Uh, 
dunce yeah. <laughs> things. Yes, relieve themselves <laughs> on the pods, I guess. Because <laughs> the horses will eat them too. Oh sure, oh, oh, coyotes oh, love them. Yeah, they have lots yeah. of uh, animals. And as they sit there and eat, like you say, the process happens, and they might have uh, you know left a deposit on top of your That's right. your mesquites. <laughs> That's right. Take them off the tree, not the ground. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> We've got a couple calls lining up. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you if you'd like to talk trees. I guess you know that trees are the best networkers, right? That's because they're always ready to branch out. (laughs) And we're going to branch out to Tom, bring him into the conversation and see how we can help him with a tree question he has for his backyard. Tom? Good morning. Welcome to the broadcast. Let me introduce you to our guest today, Steve Preby and Donna Francesco. Welcome to the program, Tom. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, kind of a two, uh, kind of a two part question. Um, I just moved into the Arrowhead Glendale area, and I've got those big, beautiful. And sorry, I'm varying from your Ironwood conversation. But, uh, <laughs> it's okay. The yellow, the yellow flowered, big green trees. I have one in the front yard. That's beautiful. It's perfect. It covers the driveway, and it's yellow. And I don't have any problem with that. It has a bunch of thorns on it. So that's kind of part of the question. But the second part of the question is, I have two in the backyard, no thorns, really big, beautiful, lots of yellow flowers ending now, but 15 feet from the pool. Mm. The pool is a swamp. Can you, can or should I, can I sterilize those or to where they don't flower? Because I, I love the trees. I like to keep them, but I just don't need the flowers. Okay, so I'm guessing uh, that the one in the front yard is a regular uh, Palo Verde of some time, Palo Verde, uh, or a Palo Brea that has the thorns. in the. Yeah. But there are cultivated variety hybrids that are thornless, and that's probably what you have in the backyard. And they bloom profusely from about this time of year until about October. And uh, there is a product. I don't know if it works on uh, Palo Verdes and other plants, but uh, you spray it on olive trees uh, to get them to uh, stop blooming. It's a it's a plant hormone, and I don't know if that would work. Uh, Donna's shaking her head, so maybe <laughs> she can weigh in here. Uh, but there, it's called Olive Stop, and you just have to ask around and uh, check and see if that works on Palo Verdes. And you might want to talk to Save a Tree. They might have ideas, too. I just think those sprays, that gets to be such a, that's a big chore. And, and again, like Steve said, that hybrid or Desert Museum, Palo Verde, can bloom on and off throughout the year. So it sounds like it's sort of the wrong tree in the wrong place or that you just need to clean the pool a lot. <laughs> uh, that's what I kind of go with. Uh, it's just that it's so hard to control that kind of stuff. And so maybe, um, you know, you could consider removal if you start cutting branches back then you're just you know you're just uh going to be stressing the tree and uh you know sometimes it is best just to decide if it's not the right tree for the right place unfortunately and so what would be a good tree i always tell them you know Mm -hmm. they're they're made of steel a guy with a welder has them So something, uh, some kind other, of metal decorative art for tr- right. your shade around your your pool. The well, other ironwood. All of all of trees are nice and clean. There's a there's a fruitless, flowerless, pollenless olives that are out there. The Swan Hill, 
um, or Wilson. And so you can look for those or things like, I think the oaks are, are can be nice and clean. What else, Steve, do you think would be nice? Oh, clean? I think it's a challenge to have plants by pools. I think it's, uh, everything, yeah. everything's going to shed something. And so it, it's, it gets to be a, a challenge, uh, to have plants and pools, uh, plant pool compatibility is a real challenge. I think even the ebony's ebony's would yeah. be nice. That would be a good one. So. Oh, the Texas ebony's. The, yeah. I, I love the green. Of the those. nice dark green. Yeah. yeah. Again, very thorny. If your your <laughs> kids are playing with a beach ball by the pool, it's not gonna. Pretty pretty last prolific long. bean pod producers. It is. It is. Again, those. It, what's They're easy nice, to pick up. Exactly. And what's <laughs> nice about some of those is you, you need to look at the trees that will have one quick drop, and that way you're done. You know, so yeah. it produces, it drops everything, and then you're done for the rest of the year. So that makes it easier around a pool as well. So. But, Tom, you're not alone. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> and they are beautiful trees. Every, everybody that has a pool struggles with this situation. <laughs> and and you've come to the safe space at Rosiana. <laughs> <laughs> And then the bird in the nest. Um, One thing that I was just thinking here is if somebody has a pool cover, a deciduous tree would work great because you're done swimming by the time it's shedding. The cover's on, and uh, the the red push pistache make a great shade tree next to a pool that's not going to have any any litter during the summertime. Then Mm -hmm. if you've got a cover, you Mm -hmm. don't have to worry about it getting in in the pool when it's shedding its its and you know we call it fall winter. color but technically it's really like december when those color up and, and uh, so it's really nice for the holidays and it, it's beautiful and then it'll like you say it'll drop and you won't be in the pool at that time of year more than likely unless your pool heater works really well well let's see if how we can help jacob and mayor on line one wants to know about a tree to break the wind good morning jacob Good morning. Um, so I've got about 10 acres of property up there, mm-hmm. and it's on a uh, northern sloping hill. Um, it's full sun year-round, and I'm getting ready to uh, start building up there in the next probably four to five years. And I'd like to start planting trees now to uh, mainly uh, um, block the wind, but also I've got a neighbor's house that I really don't want to stare at. Um, right, right. So, yeah, I'm looking for something that's low water, preferably native, um, gets okay. maybe 20 foot tall, Max. How tall? Maybe uh, 20 foot, 20 Max. Foot. Oh, 20 right, foot. That's pretty tall, mm. but. Yeah. And, and you've pointed out a couple of real, one of the, you know, some of the properties of trees that really provide benefits. So your screening is wonderful. Uh, and, and like you say, the wind windbreak. And and I'll be honest with you, Jacob, your neighbor doesn't want to look at your house either. <laughs> <laughs> But what I would do is, in the mayor area, on treesaregood.org, you can find certified arborists by region. And there is a certified arborist that is registered in mayor. Brian Phillips will get you his information, and he would be a good one to talk to about what trees specifically for your area for that, to, to meet all those needs. And bravo looking for the natives, too, by the way. Talking trees on a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning. On our May talking points, before we get back to our calls at one 767 4348 
That's one triple eight rosie for you. Text questions can also be sent to 411923. Or if you'd like to snap a picture, if you would you see a tree you'd like to know what variety, we might be able to help you identify that. You can email that to info at rosieonthehouse.com. But we've got uh, heavy cutbacks. Is this preparing for monsoon wind? You're asking? Yes. <laughs> oh, the monsoon um, pruning question. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question because it's a, a challenging thing to find that balance uh, where you don't take off too much of those little food factories, the leaves, but you take off enough to uh, prevent some breakage and things like that. And the real problem with our trees is that, as we mentioned in the last segment, they grow almost down to the ground, right? So when we lift the canopies on them, the wind gets to blow under them, and that creates lift. And when they come back down, they split out. So that can be a, a real real challenge. Uh, but yeah, we're going into that season where uh, if you feel like your trees are too dense, then yeah, then then they do create a little bit of sale uh, and that can be problematic. But that's where we need to get good uh, arborists involved. And so go to whatever sites you guys are recommending. The um, uh, Arizona Community Tree Council has a list of arborists, and you can find a professional to come in and do that where they can they can help you find that balance and not over-prune the trees and lion tail them and expose the inner bark to sun scald and things like that. So when he's talking about the lion tailing, that's when, you know, somebody will come in and just trim everything but the very ends of the branch, and it's just really much worse for the tree and opens it up to the sun and sunburning and all kinds of other damage besides that then it's put this heavy weight on the end of the branch which actually can make for more more breakage and why do they do that is it just so they don't have to come back for another two or three years to trim it again it could be. I mean, we we struggle with the why part all yeah. the time. <laughs> yeah, I think it's well-meaning. I think they think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Oh, like when you see a mulberry tree that they just completely chop and then they let the shoots yeah. come out of it. Yeah. Oh, can't stand that Topping, look. yes, yes. So, and we've got uh, palm tree fertilizing. Uh, Gary's got on here as a reminder to make sure we get our palm trees fertilized this time of year. And I know... We're getting close to the trimming time, but there's also a fine balance of if you trim too early, you still get the seed pods yes. coming right. later. So that's yes. another fine balancing act. Yes, yes. Yeah, so for the um, date palms, I, I think it, that if you schedule your pruning for uh, later this month or the beginning of next month, I think you'll be okay. Uh, for the uh, fan palms, the California fan palm and the Mexican fan palm. If you get those into like July, if you can wait till July to get those pruned, that you'll get most of the flower stalks when you go up to do the the pruning of those guys. And this is another area where, uh, again, hiring an arborist to do this Mm -hmm. because the flower stalks come from the inner part of the leaves and so it's very common for people to prune the leaves up and just leave the leaves straight up and down on the palm when the ANSI standards suggest that you should leave them at three and nine or or parallel to the ground plane and so it's it's really tricky to get in there and get the flowers get all the flower stalks off 
and leave all those leaves down that low. But that's really what's beneficial for the health of the plant. And explain the ANSI standards. That's the American National Standards, and they have written standards for all aspects of our industry, whether it uh, uh, has to do with tools and personal protective equipment to, to how much you can prune uh, off of a tree, and that's where we get a lot of the uh, guidelines as well as from the International Society of Arboriculture guidelines. I don't know who came first and who worked with who, but uh, they're very similar in some aspects. Now, do they have a... Go ahead, Don. I was going to say, we say pruning is an art and a science, and there's also ANSI standards. <laughs> <laughs> do they have a standard for checking for beehives before? Because you hear mm, horror stories yeah. of guys climbing up the palm tree, whack a few yeah. uh, fan yeah. palms off there, and all of a sudden this outcome's this uh, hive, and you can't get down the uh, a palm tree it's a dangerous place very right. quickly. Yeah, no, I don't know if there's if that's actually. I've never read that. <laughs> that seemed to be to be fall in the category of common sense to look for. But along those same lines is make look for power lines too, because we yeah. get guys that go up and drop a leaf. Uh, a palm frond across a power line, and that's uh, the worst situation right there. You can survive some bee stings, well, if you don't get too many, and or even a scorpion sting and stuff it's like that. It's unfortunate. There's a lot of dangers to yeah, palm pruning, and especially like the big, tall fan palms. And we hear those awful stories too, too often. Yeah, my favorite way to trim a palm is all the way at the base, right on top of the ground. <laughs> there are but, some beautiful palms. I'd say but, that. And one of the one of my favorites, if I can just throw it out there, is Mexican blue fan palm, and it is has one of the most beautiful flowering displays that you'll ever see. It's like a fountain. Uh, I don't know if any they actually. Uh, we have some in Pioneer Park over in Mesa, and they're just gorgeous. And they don't get very tall like these. We're looking out back right. here. What are these called behind me? Tall palm, tr- palm Those trees? Are, yeah, yes. tall. Those are the, that's the Mexican fan palm. Fan palms, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the big ones that you can't get your arms around, those are the California fan palms, the uh, so. big fat ones. And um, But I wanted to mention also that the power companies, the local power companies, SRP and APS, put on a uh, palm pruning workshop to, to – help people recognize those challenges of pruning around power Dangers, lines. Dangers, yeah. And, yes, so uh, just to keep your eye out for those, and they're free. They're free to everybody that's out there doing that type of pruning. Walking out of the grocery store last night, and it was warm. I mean, it, it was right at 100, um, and there was a, a big man. Think, think linebacker size. <laughs> and he's got two bags of groceries. Uh-huh. And he's standing behind a palm tree where the shade is oh, yeah. completely covering his trunk of the man. And both his shoulders, his arms, and his bags are hanging out in the sun. Yeah. And he looked at me and he says, only in Arizona is a palm tree a shade tree. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's perfect. He says, I'm waiting for a ride. This is the only shade I could find. <laughs> We're getting to the time of the year where you can identify how long, if this is somebody's first a time in Arizona because they'll see a parking lot near the front mm-hmm. store and they'll yeah. sit there. And then, But everyone that's been here for a summer before has hovered around the three or four little Palo Verde trees. Yeah. Just, Way uh, out in the parking lot. You don't care how far you have to walk, but you're going to park your car just under a little shade, shade of the tree, you bet. On, uh, speaking of palm trees, it, it reminded me. So we've got our Save a Tree guys. They've got four contestants in the – uh, Arizona Community Tree Council climbing contest, and yeah. we're going to go through those. But uh, we have 
and I was really sorry I couldn't make it. It just didn't work out because it's would Snowflake. Be a, this would be a pretty weekend to be in Snowflake. Oh, it would. Yeah. And, and we've covered the event live in Prescott and, and Flagstaff at the NAU, uh, Arboretum when they had the competition there, uh, Reed Park in Tucson. I cannot remember the one in, in Phoenix that Richard Atkins got us. Uh, a Stabon Park? It was, that, was it a We've had it there several times. Yeah. And so I would have been able to add Snowflake to that. But before John Eisenhower retired, I always said, I'm going to get you in the top of a palm tree and we're going to do the broadcast <laughs> on top of a palm tree palm one time tree. with our satellite unit just to just to say we've done it. And I and oh. he, he retired, moved to Idaho. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> but he didn't want to do that one, obviously. <laughs> no, the tree climbing championship is amazing. So, and... So I'm going to have to get the name of the four guys from Save a Tree because maybe one of them will do it with me. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, it's a young man's sport. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh, yeah. And the five areas that they're getting judged on. Yeah, so the one of the reasons that w- they decided to do this tree climbing championship and have it in a public place like a park is to show – uh, people that come out to see it, what you have to do to um, get up in a tree. And so the first thing is is, is a throw bag competition because you take your uh, throw bag and you tie a little line on it, you throw it up through a crotch of a tree, and that's how you get your rope up in there. And then you have to climb the rope. So there's the foot lock or the belayed speed climb. Uh, and then once you're up in there, you work around the tree. So that we set up one big tree with the work climb that has five different stations in it. You have to climb around the tree and so on. And then lastly, just like we were talking about, in case there's an accident uh, of some type where you come upon a climber that's non-responsive, there's the aerial rescue where they go up and act. And this is a special certification that climbers can get that's called uh, uh, aerial rescue and, um, and where they go up and bring a guy down out of the tree. And everything has to be done with full safety standards, you know, using your ropes and your knots and doing everything just right because that's the whole yeah, that's point the, is safety. It's yeah, really right. important to be that you get somebody that knows how to climb and knows how to climb safely. So it's more than just a competition. Yes. Correctly. Yes. Yeah. It's, hopefully we're getting a little bit of education out there as well, <laughs> yes. And it is something that they always open to the public. People can come and watch. Right. Absolutely. And, yeah, it's in a public park. It's always been in public parks. And anybody that we get a lot of people that stop by, well, what's going on yeah. here? You know, and then they stop and watch. And when you see like the somebody. Olympics for tree climbers. Right, right. <laughs> and when you say the Olympics, the winners do go on to the national competition. And I know, yeah. uh, I don't know where it is, but a lot of times it's. Uh, the parks out in L.A. and San Diego, it seemed yeah. like, the last yeah. couple of years. Yeah. Different they, trees, yeah, and bigger trees sometimes. And, and then so. they can go on to the international competition right. as well. Which so. I think the last one I remember was in Australia. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you, you could travel mm-hmm. internationally yeah. for this. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And we've had some guys get real close to placing in the international. Guys from Arizona. Yeah. Well, so we're getting graded on our broadcast today because when you said uh, – Palm tree climbing was a young man's sport. Yeah. John Eisenhower texted and said, I resemble that comment. <laughs> <laughs> so the power of radio and, and internet now, he's streaming from his idaho hidey hole. And then there are people that stay in great shape, you know, through their life, and they climb 
into the older years. That's yeah. a butter him up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Gilbert Arborist, Richard, he's still cl- he's out, out there, there climbing. Absolutely. And he's not competing, but he is out there climbing. So, yeah. <laughs> and when we talk about arborists, you know, there's a lot of places you wouldn't expect to find an arborist job. You know, I'm sure the tree industry is just like the rest of the construction industry. You know, where is that next generation of climbers and talent going to come from but uh the different places that you would find an arborist job you know APS has certified arborists on staff that they Correct. keep underneath the power lines clear right. um the, all every city has a certified arborist on staff to maintain all the trees that are on city lands um I know Richard he has his own arborist consulting job but he was also working yeah. for the city of Phoenix as their arborist for I don't know how many years, a long time. So there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of opportunity in a lot of different places you wouldn't expect to find an arborist job. I'm sure SRP's got their own yeah. as well. Yeah, everybody that has a tree. <laughs> needs, there's, yeah, yeah. Any of these properties. There's something adrenaline pumping <laughs> about sitting in the crotch of a tree, forty feet off the ground, with a chainsaw. <laughs> you know that yeah. will get that will yeah. fire you up right there. Yes. Well, we've just about scythered our way through another Talking Tree broadcast. Way to work it in, Romy. Wow. The sound of the wind rustling through leaves is called scythering. And it has been a great spring, whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, it's been windy. It, it, there's been a lot of opportunity to scyther this spring. But not today. Looking out the window, it doesn't look like anything's moving out there. My neighbors loved it. My misting systems are cooling his backyard. <laughs> You're so generous. Yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah. But hey, is that related to trees? It does dry trees out. So we have to be uh, mindful sure. of the how much wind we're getting and how that, that affects the plants. And it does dry them out a little faster. So we need to might want to consider uh, uh giving them some water after some windy days or a windy week. And as we are going into the summertime, it's mm-hmm. time to change our watering schedules. Yes, definitely. And we we want to be very conscious of uh, that we're May through, you know, about October. <laughs> we're, we're really hitting our dry period and our a lot of heat. Now, that hopefully will change when we get into the monsoon season. But what surprises people is that uh, this typically is the time of year that the plants need the most water because we've got those, like Steve said, we got the winds, we got this really low humidity. Uh, you know, when you when you go to pet the cat and you shock him instead, you know that <laughs> <laughs> that the humidity is low. You can see it in your bird baths or things outside where the everything just dries up so quickly. So that's happening, like Steve said, with the what's evaporating from the ground or what's evaporating through the leaves on the trees and plants like that. So what we want to really encourage people to do and really get those plants a lot more kind of drought resilient is water deeply and infrequently. So you kind of hear that mantra, deeply and infrequently. And and what we want people to understand is what does that mean? Well, you know, for our trees, it's nice if you can get the to a depth of about three feet, for shrubs at least a couple feet, and for small plants about a foot. But then to allow a drying period in between, what that does, you're encouraging those roots to go deeper in the soil where they're more protected from the heat and the sun and the dry 
winds. And if you're watering frequently, the roots really don't have a reason to go deeper. So by watering deeply and then letting it dry in between, the roots will work their way down further in the soil. Which makes it for a hardier, stronger tree. A lot of times right. when you see mesquite trees especially uh, blown over during yeah. the monsoons, it's just somebody didn't water deeply and the roots are all just within the top very few inches. layer or very close to the trunk because they never had water in the outer, out at the drip edge drip edge that's right so water deep and i will say it is worth everyone to get a, a, a soil probe yeah to go around the tree it, it's yeah. amazing what uh what you can learn from walking around right. after the, it's been watering for an hour you put in right. oh i'm only going two inches yeah you know yeah. on the surface yeah. it looks like yeah. you're, it is but yeah let it go a little longer and you come back yeah. and an hour and a half later, you're getting down to a foot. Okay, right. so now I need to go another hour. And we've made it a little easier for people. If you don't want to have do the soil probe thing, we've kind of calculated out ourselves, like how many gallons that would take to get to those depths, knowing that our desert soils are all pretty uniform, have a heavy day, heavy clay uh, soil. And so uh, wateruseitwisely.com, we have a fantastic watering guide, and it'll tell you how many gallons. And then uh, it's like for a you know eight foot tree, you want to put so many gallons on each time, and we we feel that's a pretty good estimate for getting it to those depths. And then we'll give you those frequencies as well. So um, so yeah, waterisitwisely.com, and we'll get you to those the that watering guide. And that book that you have in front of you that Water yeah. Use It Wisely puts together on the desert plants, I absolutely love that book. The landscape plants for the Arizona desert, and that's a that's an AMWA booklet but we definitely promote or we all work together on this stuff so so yes it's uh fantastic and they have a really good online guide as well that uh is fantastic so and and AMA also offers a text when to water uh if you if you text to uh 33222 or text when to water to 33222 and they'll send you a monthly reminder on the frequency for watering so i do get that yeah excellent and there's another little booklet called uh, Watering by the Numbers, yes, Landscape Watering by the Numbers, that helps. Uh, it talks about using the soil probe and how to go about doing that and how to, how to figure out how long to let your irrigation controller run to get to those depths. And then get out. If you are working on a landscape or you're looking for a low-water-use landscape, you know, a lot of people think you've, you're limited to Palo Verde, Mesquite, and Ironwood, but there are so many great places right. out there, the... Uh, City of Scottsdale's Xeriscape Garden yes. at their reclamation Beautiful. right on Hayden and McDowell. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. Botanical Gardens. Yes. Donna, I know you've got a couple of places people can go see the a, a beautiful landscape. Absolutely. Of course, uh, Mesa Community College is <laughs> has a Xeriscape demonstration garden and is a uh, arboretum, actually. And, uh, and they, a tree campus USA. They just celebrated becoming a tree <laughs> campus USA uh, just a few weeks ago. So uh, some amazing sites. Of course, Boyce Thompson is also wonderful to get those examples. And that's what's so important. We want people to understand that, you know, first of all, it's just so much easier to maintain these plants that are so well um you know they're they're so adapted to our our climate and you know we we are all are hearing these kind of scary headlines right now with uh the drought conditions and by the way so excited you have uh yeah. central arizona next project jo hour. joining you next hour and people if you can't listen live please get the podcast because i know they're going to talk about some good stuff Awa lifeline of arizona, arizona we, yeah. we are flooded <laughs> we are flooded yeah. All week long with questions. How can we take any more people in this state? How can we take any more people in this state? Well, we're going to be talking about and the water and lifeline. 
That, I think that's the one thing they missed back in the 60s when they were allocating that water. Yeah. As they should have said, all right, everyone that moves from California to Arizona, their water credits move with them. <laughs> <laughs> they, they missed that one detail. We'd be okay if, if we'd have just thought of that one. But who would have thought we'd ever had that kind of migration coming back east from yeah. from the West Coast? But we are. Great so, idea. Thanks, guys. Steve, Donna, thank you so much thank for your you. time this Saturday morning.